On today's third and run podcast, football is back. Badger football is back. Big Ten football is back. Couldn't be more excited. We have a crossover episode with my buddy Asher Lowe and Locked on Badgers talking everything. Big Ten return to play. The Badgers in 2020 were previewing the season again for what seems like the eighth time. But football's back. Football's back. It's a great week in Big Ten land. Good to have you in. Music. Ben Kenny joins me. Ben, let's do this, Ben. Asher, I'm thrilled to be here. It's a beautiful day in Big Ten land, and I'll say this. About a week ago, approximately a week ago, I did a show with you after the Badgers landed five-star offensive tackle Nolan Rucci, and I remember saying in the onset of the episode that I could not think of a better circumstance to do an episode under. I stand corrected. This is one of, I would say, the greatest days of my life. It was an amazing feeling to look on Twitter.com and see that Big Ten football was officially back after all the rumors, Ben, after all the coaches turning on the conference, after Nebraska saying they're never going to play football ever again in the Big Ten, after parent protests outside of the headquarters, we're back. After seeing Sir Yacht tweet every day for a month and a half, we're done with it. It's amazing. It's amazing. I woke up. None. No more. I, I woke up, I obviously saw the news, um, but one tweet that really stuck out to me just said one word and a period, and it was football. <laughs> it was football. It's like now we're back, so the season was obviously canceled mid-early August. Now we're back kind of in that same mode. We're a little more than a month out of the season, and, and, and you feel it, you know? It's the, fall, it's the fall feeling. You just feel the excitement that, you know, I feel going into every NFL season, going into every college football season. You just know that for eight, I mean, this year, nine, ten Saturdays, your, your day's occupied, you have something to look forward to. It couldn't be better. Let's run through for listeners right now some of the things that the Big Ten return taught us, showed us, and some of the protocols that are in place right now for when football does come back. So the Big Ten season will resume during the weekend of October 24th, and we'll get into all this stuff after we lay it out to you. There'll be a brand new championship week format. That's going to be awesome. It's basically eight regular season games plus one. And that plus one is not just the Big Ten championship game. It's actually every single team playing their other team in that conference that's in the same place they are. That is a terrible way to explain that. It's kind of hard to explain. But basically, second place for second place, third place for third place in the East and the West, and so on and so on and so on. The COVID-19 protocols are interesting, very interesting. A player, if it has positive, will have to undergo at least a 21-day period away from the team. And there's this color system of green, orange, and red, where if a percentage of the team is positive, and that red is the worst level it could be on this spectrum, if 5% of the team, which is the red level, is positive, that team will have to shut down all activity for at least seven days. Now, the thing is, Ben, going off of that point right there, With this new restart, we don't have the luxury of time. We don't have the luxury of these bye weeks that were in place in August when we thought about doing this thing the first time, and people voted 11-3 to in favor of not playing football. Now, of course, that vote was 14-0 unanimous, those people being the presidents and chancellors. No, Kevin Warren does not have a vote. I know that may surprise some people. It's all the presidents and chancellors. We don't have those bye weeks in place where if a team has a positive outbreak, they can just make up a game. And the reason, Ben that it's so important 
to play this season and finish it on time is because the college football playoff right now is scheduled to announce teams on December 20th. That's one day after the Big Ten is scheduled to play their Big Ten championship game on the 19th. If you were to start postponing games, then you're finishing the season after the college football playoff is scheduled to make their announcement. That would be a nightmare for the conference. A lot there, a lot to unpack. Your thoughts? Right. So I'll start with this. Obviously, having the flexibility during a season like this is really pivotal. That's why you can look back at the early August decision and say, hey, maybe they should have pushed the season back a couple weeks or a month, waited to hear whatever new info they were looking for instead of canceling it. Because that maybe added, I don't know, two, three weeks to the process of going back to play. But when, when you think about it, so first, there's obviously been a lot of Twitter jokes thrown around about, hey, yeah, if Nebraska – uh, has to not play like it won't mean anything you know there's a lot of there's a lot of slander a lot of it is towards Nebraska but when you're going into the it, season all of it is towards Nebraska to be honest all of it is there's there's zero margin for error which is going to be tough and it's and it's mainly going to be tough for the top teams that I mean I'm thinking of Ohio State mainly where I would say they have an inside shot at the college football playoff so if you're the rest of the Big Ten and you're playing you know the college football playoff isn't necessarily the first thing on your mind you're trying to get to the conference championship you're trying to win it for Ohio State and Ryan Day said it it's like that's what this season is about for Justin Fields he, he wants to win a national championship so when you're talking about the no margin for error that really affects Ohio State the most maybe Penn State maybe Wisconsin but it really affects them the most by far one positive thing I will say through all of this and the restart protocol which is very confusing to unpack is that unlike when you know, they were thinking about going into the season in early September. Now they have this rapid testing where they can get it back in 15, 20 minutes. At least you know now that if a player is on the field on Sunday, he's negative. So, you, true, yeah. Which, which is significant because you're talking about a contact sport, which could on transmit Saturday. the virus on Saturday. On Saturday. Sorry. <laughs> on Saturday. Football is just on my mind. Um, rapid but, testing. But, yeah, but you're going into it knowing that if a player is on the field and playing in the game, he's negative, which is significant, obviously, given, you know, the contact that the sport has. So the NFL, we've seen them kind of, they don't have a bubble, but they have, you know, like, like an enforced non-bubble, and, and it's working perfectly so far. They have had pretty much zero positive tests, I think, since the onset of training camp, maybe a couple. Um, so it's like, it's really up to the teams and the players when they are not, in the facility and on the field to, to, to stay safe pretty much and, and keep the season going. But this testing is significant because whenever you go into the building, you know, for workouts or for practice and you get tested, you know at least that if one person has it, it's not getting transmitted through activities like that, which was a big red flag a month ago. Another huge aspect, Ben, of the rapid testing that changed the medical idea on this a ton is that if you have rapid testing and you can get results back within you know, an hour, whatever it is, how quick it is, then you're not waiting around for two days wondering if you might have it with no symptoms because a lot of these guys, even ones that will be symptomatic, won't be symptomatic after they first contract the virus and can still spread it from what we know about it. So say they're waiting around for two days, but they don't know they're positive and they have no symptoms at all. And they're just you know doing what they're doing, seeing people on the team, going to workouts, whatever it is, because everyone's going to get tested. It's not a special thing of, one player, the whole team's going to get tested all the time, right? So actually every fall athlete at Wisconsin will have the same access 
uh, from what I saw, which is really good news. If you're wondering what about other sports, what about, you know, why does football get all this treatment? Every athlete, tall athlete at Wisconsin will have the same testing access from what I read. Now, the thing is, if a player is going around for two days and they're positive and they have no idea, they're obviously, you know, transmitting the virus to a lot of other people. And that's where the 5% number comes in big, right? One asymptomatic case of COVID-19, that player is held out. Okay, that's not a huge deal either in safety terms or in finishing the football season terms. It's not a huge deal, right? That, that, that is going to happen in the Big Ten. But suddenly that spreads to, you know, God forbid, even a coach who is a much higher risk. That, that spreads to players, coaches, whatever. And yep. suddenly we're looking at the red zone. As I said, and we're, we're talking about canceling the season again, whatever. There's a much less, less chance of that happening now that we have yep. rapid testing. It's a really big step forward for this whole thing to actually work out. And I'm just glad we're playing football. Yeah, and also one final thing this does, and this is all the advancements since early August when the first decision was made, is that when you're, when you're able to test people this frequently, you know, the presence of a false positive, let's say a significant player receives a false positive, you know, from the old, you know, testing method when it's not rapid, they would then need to wait, I don't know, four days, three days until they would see, receive another result, which aside from the COVID perspective, from a football perspective, you know, you're, you're doing all this activity, you're playing in games, you're practicing, having those four days in isolation would really affect, you know, your play, your return to the field, your shape, everything. So that's where the 21 day thing that you mentioned uh, comes in, where if a player is actually positive, um, the like 21 days, while many think it might be too long, it's kind of the same idea as a pitcher in baseball. If they miss a couple starts, you know, if they go on the 10 day injured list, they still need a week to come back to pitching. So the fact that you can test this rapidly and receive results this rapidly, even if, you know, the, the testing isn't accurate, there's a false positive, you're able to administer another one and administer another one and make sure that if the player is actually negative, you're not actually missing time on the field. One thing I will add that I didn't say initially about some of these Big Ten protocols that every listener should know about is that fans will not be allowed right now. They are only allowing currently family members of players and the family members of players that can come. That's not exactly clear how many tickets per player, whatever it is media as well. That's not clear as to how they're doing all that. So obviously Ben and I would love to be at camp Randall. We're not sure how that's going to work out this fall, but Hey, we're going to be watching games no matter what. And that is a big step forward. We're also going to be talking Wisconsin football in just a sec. We're going to be getting into uh, once again, re revamping the 2020 season preview, talking Big Ten predictions. We're doing it for like the 18th time. I feel like Groundhog Day. It's all over again, Ben. We're just doing it. But first, I want to tell you guys about rockauto.com. All the car parts that you will ever need at rockauto.com. We got, I'm on this site right now. It's crazy. You got all the models I've ever heard of in my life and many more. All the making models I've ever heard of in my life. All the way A through Z. You got years down to 1950 and you can find the specific part for that specific car over a 70-year period for literally any brand you want. And the best part of it all is that it's all at wholesale prices, and you can actually compare. Uh, you can see right here, there's a Rock Auto comparison versus places like AutoZone, Napa, O'Reilly, whatever, and you can see how much cheaper that part would be on rockauto.com. And if you do check out at rockauto.com, make sure you tell them that Locked On sent you. Locked On Badgers sent you to rockauto.com and in honor of my friend, Big Ten Ben, a man that made me enlightened to the rock auto jingle. I'm going to give it my first ever go right here on the Lockdown Badgers podcast. The Big Ten Ben sponsor, Rock Auto Jingle, the host of Lockdown Big Ten. He always does this. So here we go. 
R-O-C-K-A-U-T-O, Rock Auto, Rock Auto, rockauto.com, Big Ten Ben's jingle. Tremendously done. First of all, he's had an absolute blast couple of days. I'll say that. Yeah, Big Ten Ben has been going off. Right now we're talking Wisconsin football. Forget the rest of the conference for a second. Let's talk Badgers. Ben Kenny, you just wrote up the depth chart for Badgers Wire. What are some position groups that you are most excited to see on either side of the football come, wow, I can't believe I'm saying this, come October or playing? Right. So first I'll say this. We were going to do a Twitter live last night, do some Q&A. Um, technical difficulties got in the way. I did promise before that that the cone takes would be mild. So I'm not going to talk about the quarterbacks because we don't need to. We know exactly what it's going to be. We know how he's going to perform. The position groups I'm most excited about, first on offense, obviously the O-line, you know what you're going to get. I'm really excited to see, not necessarily for a specific player, but I'm excited to see how the running back rotation kind of plays out, where going in, a lot of us believe and signed point towards Nikia Watson starting. We know Garrett Groshek is a good change of pace back. You know, he'll be in and passing downs. But I'm really excited to see how Jalen Berger comes in and produces if he gets early playing time, because our freshman year at Wisconsin, a couple years ago, there was another running back from New Jersey who wasn't starting to start the season, Came in the first game. What's his name? I forgot. What's his name again? This guy, Jonathan. Jonathan oh, Taylor. Jonathan yeah. Taylor. So oh, pretty good. Guy. He's oh, pretty good running back from New Jersey, oh. right? So, so he comes in, and he's not starting, but then he's just so good that you can't keep him off the field. So I'm excited to see how Watson performs, uh, given you know a lot of touches a game, and then how Berger kind of plays into that, and how the new talent coming into the program pretty much performs uh, with Cone. And then obviously you have the wide receivers who you know what you're getting from Pryor and Davis, but they need to produce enough, honestly. Um, they need to produce enough to help out Cone because there's no Cephas on the outside. You're not hitting those deep balls as consistently as you were last year. It's going to be interesting to see as well the new wide receivers coach, Alvis Witter, how he works with yeah. this group taking over uh, this season when you have two seniors, Kendrick Pryor, Danny Davis, who are expected to handle the load. You got another senior in Krumholtz, another senior in Dunn. And you got some younger guys like Mustafa um, is a name that's been hot, Taj Mustafa. So we'll, we'll see who steps forward, but it has to be Kendrick Pryor or Danny Davis. One of those two, I think, really separating themselves from the other. And that's not to say that, you know, they should be in competition with each other. I think they'll make each other better, honestly. Uh, but I do think one receiver has to become, and we don't know who it's going to be yet between those two, and I think it will be one of those two. Who, who's going to become the guy for Jack Cohn this year? Because you have to have, in college football, I really feel – that unless you are, I mean, really special, right, with, with the wheels, with, with your arm, a really special level quarterback, you've got to have a guy you really rely on. And even, even great quarterbacks have to have guys they rely on. Uh, and, and I feel like if you look back, actually, even the greatest quarterbacks in college football always have that stud wide receiver. I mean, they, they always do. LSU last year is a good example. So, yeah, well, or I'll, I'll say this, or tight end where yeah. the Wisconsin obviously utilizes the tight end in many ways. But having Ferguson there and knowing what he's going to bring is huge for Cone, even if the receivers don't step up to maybe a level Cephas was at for part of last year. And we know he's an NFL-level tight end as a blocker and as a physical presence. But yep. we haven't seen the Jake Ferguson offensively that I think a lot of people thought we'd see last year. And I feel like we've only seen it in spurts. It hasn't been as consistent as we've wanted it to be. So it's a big year for the junior. I agree. Because Jack Cohn does need to develop a number one. And 
I wouldn't be shocked, Ben, if there were quite a few games in this eight-game schedule where Jake Ferguson led the Badgers in receiving yards. I would not be shocked at all. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he led the entire team for the year. I, I, I actually know, I published that, but well, I, I had so I published bold predictions. This is before the season got canceled, and and this is a bold prediction, but one of them was that Ferguson would lead the team in receiving. Where he's a junior, I think he's going to take a step forward, but it's really about how Cohn utilizes the middle of the field and what Ferguson will be able to bring and the lack of a Cephas on the outside. But one last thing with the wide receivers that we really saw last year, Paul Christ utilize them in creative ways where you have wildcat formations, you have end arounds, and one that obviously helped Taylor in the running game because it kind of spread the defense out. Um, but Pryor and Davis were good in those situations. Um, I, I forget the exact stats, but there, the yards per carry were high. There were explosive plays. So if Chris is able to do the same thing, the same kind of wizardry, and open up the field in every way for the running backs, for Ferguson, get the ball into the fast guy's hands in space, that'll help Cone. That'll help them in the receiving game. It'll help the whole offense. It also makes me think of losing Aaron Crookshank when you talk about yeah. using wide receivers in creative ways. Aaron Crookshank was that speed guy, and now he'll be at Rutgers this coming year. But I do feel like Pryor and Davis possess the same type of ability on jet sweep actions and stuff we saw them run last year as Crookshank does. I don't think you have the electric returner on this team that Aaron Crookshank was. So I think that's a definitely a big loss in special teams. Obviously, I mean, the play everyone's going to think of is that Rose Bowl return to tie the game at seven in the first quarter. You don't have that type of explosiveness in the return game, but I don't think the Badgers take a massive step back in the jet sweep game. And the Wildcat uh, direct snap to Crookshank that we saw last year, I think you can run that same action with a Kendrick Pryor. Yeah, I mean, well, you had Pryor last year, 13 carries, 180 yards, 13.8 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Davis, nine carries, 110 yards, 12.2 yards per carry, one touchdown. Where they did it, when they and had the ball moments. in their hands, it worked. Yeah, in big moments as well. This wasn't oh, that Minnesota uh, game. That Minnesota game, exactly, is, is the one I'm – I'm thinking of in, in essentially the biggest moment of the season where your boy Jack Cohn had his best game of the season. The biggest moment Lights of the season Lights up out. to that point, uh, Kendrick Pryor took an end around a jet sweep for a touchdown. So they're capable. They're very capable. Let's talk about the defense for a sec. Jack Sanborn obviously leads this group. I'm very excited about the future of the defense, man, right now. Oh, yeah. 2021 and 2022, I'm already getting excited about the future of the Wisconsin defense. And I'm also hearing some great things out of camp that I'll talk about in a sec from one of the 2020 linebackers. But who sticks out to you not named Jack Sanborn on this defense? Well, Eric Burrell is an obvious answer. But the guy that sticks out to me the most, mainly after what we saw last year and what he can be this year, is Keanu Benton on the defensive line, where he was a true freshman last year, only played eight games. But when he was in, you saw spurts of uh, an athletic dominant defensive lineman that we haven't really had at the nose tackle position in some years. So he is now a sophomore. He's super young, um, and he's starting. And I think he really takes a big step forward. But the thing, the, the kind of position group I'm excited to see, obviously the cornerbacks, Caesar Williams, they're, they're upperclassmen, they're experienced, they're talented. But I'm also interested to see Scott Nelson return to the field at safety and whether he or Reggie Pearson wins that second safety battle. Because Pearson was tremendous last year in the run game. Um, Nelson was good a couple years ago, obviously hurt for last year. So kind of the whole secondary, you know that there's a lot of experience and a lot of talent and they're going to be good. I'm, I'm interested to see who kind of steps up as the leader of that back end. For those that don't know, Scott Nelson was last year's starting safety. 
and went down week one at USF with a season-ending injury. And Reggie Pearson and Eric Burrell were both tremendous last year, stepping in to that role. So it's that that is an interesting depth problem, and it's a really good problem to have. If you're Paul it's a great Frank. one. That's one. That's yep. one of the problems that you love to have. It's it's which which guy that has already proven at the college level if they can produce for me at this position, am I going to play? And I wouldn't be surprised. We're gonna. I'm, not that I wouldn't be surprised. We're going to see both on the field. Like, yeah, I mean, sure. Pearson, I mean, Pearson's Pearson. younger. And Nelson, we're going to see both on the field this year. Uh, it will be interesting to see who uh, – how honestly, how Scott Nelson looks. I think we know what we're going to get from Reggie Pearson. But yeah. how Scott Nelson looks coming off of an injury year. Let's get to some Big Ten predictions to close out this football is back crossover between the Third Run podcast and Locked on Badgers. So if you didn't hear me earlier, guys – one of my favorite additions with this eight-game regular season is the plus-one game that Barry Alvarez was already hyping up. So here's how it's going to work. Big Ten West, Big Ten East. And whoever finishes at the top of the Big Ten West and top of the Big Ten East, it's as usual. They will go to the Big Ten Championship game and play each other. The difference is that this year, whoever finishes second will play the second-place team in the other conference. Whoever finishes third in the West will play third in the East, fourth in the West, fourth in the East, and so on and so on. So in our predictions, without – taking too much time with each one just because we are on our third segment running it down and we could go into all these matchups for their own 30-minute show. Forever. We're going to talk about who's going to finish last in each conference and, and up because we're going to give you what we think those matchups will be in that plus one week. Let's start at the bottom with the toilet bowl of the Big Ten, Ben. The last place team in the Big Ten West and the last place team in the Big Ten East, that matchup will be. I don't think anybody will be surprised to hear that it will be Rutgers and it will be Northwestern. There's not anything else you have to say. 100% agree. Northwestern, the offensive questions weren't even questions. I mean, they were essays. I, I, I don't even know how to begin to answer the Northwestern questions on offense last year. New coordinator. What are they going to do at quarterback? We'll see. Rutgers, obviously, hey, Greg Shawn is back. But is it a year one turnaround? No. Is Aaron Crookshank going to have an electric return in the toilet bowl game? Maybe if he gets eligibility. I actually don't know if he's eligible. Let me, let me check if he's eligible right now. But going to the second-to-last place team, second-to-last place team, who's your matchup? So this is where, you know, the, the trends that you would assume, you, you would assume it'd be Maryland in the east and maybe a Purdue uh, or an Illinois in the west. But I think it's Michigan State in the east. Mel Tucker comes in. The offseason has been weird, to say the least. They don't have experience anywhere. And – his first year in the program, let's just say that this is an almost impossible season to go into as your first year in the program. Michigan oh, yeah. State's going to struggle this year. And then I think it's Illinois in the West. Lovey Smith's doing good stuff, but I just like Nebraska and Purdue and where they're at more at this point than Illinois. For the record, I agreed with your toilet bowl matchup. I don't think I officially said that, but I disagree here just slightly. I got Michigan State as well. I think that's really clear. The bottom two and that the bottom three, honestly, is extremely clear in the Big Ten East between Michigan State, Rutgers, and Indiana. Or, sorry, and Maryland. And I think Indiana's. I've always said they were better than people would think they'd be this year. We'll see how much they can actually jump up because to get ahead of Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan is a very, very tall task. In the Big Ten West, I'm gonna go with Nebraska. And I have no I've argument biggest, here. For I've the been record. the biggest Nebraska hater. I was. I was last year. I still am because they wanted to leave the conference. I don't see it. I just, I just don't see it this year with them. I think they finish second to last and end up matching up with Michigan State and probably beating Michigan State. 
in that plus one game? Well, I'll say, I'll say one thing is that going into every single year, almost, we hear Adrian Martinez, Heisman hype. There's absolutely none of it this year. So this so, is the year that happens. So saying. maybe this is the year that it happens. <laughs> Adrian Martinez Heisman, you heard it here first. On uh, we're gonna we're gonna give credit to the Third and Run podcast. <laughs> that that is not coming near the Lockdown Batters podcast or tape like that. Third, third from bottom is. So, in the East, it's Maryland. That's easy. In the West, and I'm I'm stuck here between, uh, Nebraska and Purdue. Purdue obviously loses Rondale Moore going into the year. I think they'll still be better than Nebraska because they get a lot of significant players back after injury last year. So I think Nebraska finishes third lowest, but them and Purdue are right next to each other for me. Interesting point to add right now about the Big Ten protocol that affects Rondell Moore, who's Purdue's star receiver who has opted out. Technically right now, we don't exactly know how the Big Ten is going to handle players wanting to opt back in. I think what they initially had said, and I'm not 100% sure on this because it was a while ago, they had initially said if you opt out, you're out. Obviously, that was before they canceled the season, and that was before they then reinstated the canceled season. Right. There already is one player uh, who, who wants to opt back in, and that is Wyatt Davis at Ohio State, who's an All-American guard and has already tweeted out that he wants to opt back in. He didn't tweet out saying, I'm opting back in. He said, if the conference allows me, and I'll work with my Ohio State people, to try and get back in this season after opting out. I read that of the 20, I think it was 21 opted out guys officially, and there are more names that aren't known, but those were the official announced ones. Only nine of them had declared for the draft, and a very few number of those guys had even signed with an agent yet. And if you sign with an agent, I think there's no coming back from that. Like, you've taken money now, and I don't see how the NCAA can ever allow you to play again. But based on their rules, I'm not saying it's, it's right. I'm saying I don't see that, mm-hmm. how, they, how they overturn that. But if you're a Wyatt Davis, if you're a Rondell Moore who hasn't signed with an agent, as far as I know right now, it's not out there in public. That yeah, he he's, he's not. You can, you can come back in probably. Like, I think they will allow Wyatt Davis back in. So mm-hmm. if Rondell Moore wants to come back in, I think they'll let him back in. After that whole rant, I'm going to say that Illinois is going to match up with Maryland in that third from bottom matchup in the plus one week. Moving on. All right, so we're getting the fun stuff now. My, four, my middle pack team in the East is going to be Michigan. It's going to be Michigan. And wow. now you're asking, okay, so where's Indiana? We'll get to them. But Dylan McCaffrey just opted out and is transferring. Um, they, they don't have a good option at quarterback right now or one with experience. And this is a program that, I mean, this is going off the older schedule. Still, no matter what, they're going to have a really tough schedule. They're going to have to face Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin if the game's from the updated schedule stand. So I think Michigan is really going to struggle. And, and a big reason is the lack of experience at quarterback. And they're going to match up with Purdue. I, I just talked about them. They, they return guys from injury this year. Honestly, I don't love Iowa either. We'll get into them. But I think Purdue is, is in the middle in the West. I don't hate the take. I think Michigan has a down year. But I still think Indiana doesn't have quite enough especially on defense, to get to that top four level in the East. So I'm going to put Indiana there, and they'll match up with, yeah, it's, I, I don't want it to be, but, like, it, it has to be Purdue. Like, I just don't want it to be because I, I love them, especially if Rondo Moore comes back, which I think he might, but it has to be Purdue there. Once again, very similar story to Indiana. I feel like those two teams are mirroring each other in a lot of ways. Exciting pieces on offense, 
definitely not proven by any means, but on the rise programs. And we'll see how those two wild cards do. Let's get into the top. But before I say that, by the way, before we get into the top three, I do want to say that these are subject to change because we don't have a schedule yet. We are going off of basically how teams were scheduled before. We'll probably get a schedule this week. And if we get a schedule at some point today, which is Thursday, then you can better believe that tomorrow's episode, Friday's episode of Lockdown Batters, which will be an episode up tomorrow, will basically be all scheduled right down. So, Ben, top three. First of all, breaking down a schedule is one of the most fun random day activities of all time. Our you know, third way time too doing in depth, it, possibly. Way too in depth. I honestly, if there's one bright spot through all this, is that there have been countless schedule changes to overreact to. Number three in the East, Indiana. Just talked about them. They they returned Michael Penix at quarterback. I like where they're headed. They were good last year, and they appear to only be getting better. Third in the West, easy. It's Iowa. And I think Iowa also is going to struggle. The bottom of the West is not going to be good this year. No. It's not going to be good. Aside from Minnesota, Wisconsin, the bottom of the West is not going to be good. Iowa's at three, even though they welcome in a new quarterback. They lost a lot of pieces from last year, and it's going to be a slightly down year, even though Kirk Ferentz has a great thing going there. So, yeah, Indiana, Iowa. I'm going with Iowa as well, even though I want to go with Minnesota in third. But I'm going to go with Iowa in third. And I'm going to go with Michigan in third in the East. Pretty simple there. Pretty chalk there. Let's go to top two. Yeah, I think we're going to agree on both these matchups. The, the number two versus number two is going to be Penn State, Minnesota. Penn State still can't compete with where Ohio State's at, especially with Justin Fields still there at quarterback. They, uh, Penn State's arguably the best linebacker in the country, Micah Parsons. We just talked about more, but he's opted out at this point. He won't play. Penn State is still one of the best teams in the country. They're still a top 15, 10 team in the country, but they're just not going to compete with Ohio State. Minnesota, same opt-out story. To top receiver Rashad Bateman had opted out. We don't know if he's going to play. So last year when they played Wisconsin, Minnesota versus Wisconsin, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman absolutely shredded them, yet Wisconsin still won the game. They, they found a way to lock him down late. So without those two guys at receiver, I don't see how they score on the Wisconsin defense at all. I'm also going that, and obviously we have the classic. It's almost become a ritual, a yearly ritual. Ohio State and Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Ben, I'm going to save our takes on that game for a later podcast because I know there'll be a lot of talk about a potential Ohio State-Wisconsin game once we get closer to December. Yeah, I'll say one more thing. With this new schedule format, obviously a lot of Badger fans were preparing for the last, let's say schedule number two was the one that came out right before they canceled. We're just going to start numbering the schedules. Schedule number two came out right before they canceled, and the Badger schedule was a cupcake, if I've ever seen a cupcake, where they had to play Minnesota and they had to play Michigan. But they added Rutgers to their schedule. They avoided all the top teams. But now how this lines up, which honestly I love because you're really seeing the top teams play each other, where a lot of years that doesn't happen. It's looking like they're going to be playing Ohio State at some point, um, which, for better or for worse, you know, last year we saw what the Buckeyes did to them. But the, the cupcake of all cupcakes is, is no, longer, no longer happening. I honestly don't know how this is going to look in terms of the, the Big Ten East opponent Wisconsin plays. Who knows? I, I think they'll definitely play Indiana. I, I don't. I don't actually know what the schedule will look like because we don't really know. We just know eight yeah. games and we'll react to it when we see it. Ben, 
Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for talking Badgers with me. Thank you for talking Big Ten with me. We got football back. Yeah, it was a blast. Verbal meme, the Undertaker is getting up out of his casket, and the <laughs> caption is just Jack Cohn right now. That's fantastic radio. Let's go. Great way to end this pod. Tomorrow, one more episode from Lockdown Badgers coming at you on Friday. As always, on Wisconsin, we have football.